Hey everyone, Pam and I are on our way back from the Holy Land where we had an incredible time with our Holy Land team and I loved it. And by the way, a lot of you need to plan to go with us to the Holy Land. It will change your life. It will connect you to God in a more incredible way. And that's something that happens every single time we go. But here's the thing I want you to know. I know you're about to be really, really blessed today. Why? Because in this series on Breathing Room, what to do when you're in over your head, today you're going to hear from one of my favorite, favorite pastors, Pastor Stephen McKinley. And by the way, if you didn't know this, you ready? Stephen is a germaphobe. I mean, he can't handle germs. He can't handle anything like that. And why am I bringing that up? Because Stephen still goes on the mission field. He still goes to places that are completely impoverished and have very, very unsanitary conditions. And yet he goes there with joy. And yet he goes there rising above. So there's almost nobody to kick off our series on breathing room better than Pastor Stephen McKinley. And right now, I want all of you to join me in welcoming Pastor Steve. Good morning. How are we doing today? Man, I just want to say welcome all of you in the building, on the patio, online. We're so grateful that you are joining us today. And uh, before we get started, I just want to say my wife and I, we got to spend some time in Israel with Pastor Chuck, Pam, and a bunch of other people. And guys, we genuinely have the greatest senior pastor in the world. Like literally, yes, we got to have breakfast with him, with him and Pam one of the mornings, and he's so knowledgeable, he's so loving, so kind, so funny. He's got a crazy sense of humor. I know he's watching right now. We love you, Pastor Chuck and Pam, so much. Grateful for you, grateful for your leadership. And uh, today, we're just, I'm really expecting, I'm ready to preach, man. I just got back from Israel. I'm ready to go, but let's go ahead, let's pray, and let's get into it. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for our time together. God, I thank you for the incredible leadership of this church, and I pray right now, God, this morning that you would use me to speak to your people. God, I pray that you would open up eyes and ears to listen to what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. About three years ago, I'll never forget this, uh, we had just thrown the, one of the biggest junior high events we've ever thrown. Uh, before I was the young adult pastor here, I was the junior high pastor for about three years, and we would throw this summer event uh, every year on the school football field over there, and I don't know what I was thinking, if I'm honest with you guys, but I planned this day like all day. So we would get there like early in the afternoon. We wouldn't leave till about eight o'clock at night. That's when students would start getting picked up. I don't know what I was thinking. I was crazy. But I remember this one day, we had this event. There's about almost 200 junior hires there. It was 90 degrees outside, plus on turf, which made it feel like it was over 100 degrees. We're there outside running around on water slides, getting soaked, hanging out with students. It was a crazy day. And then it came time for everybody's favorite part, tear down. It's about eight o'clock at night. Everybody, all the students are going home. Now it's time to tear down. I look at the field and there is stuff everywhere. I kid you not, we had about like 50 plus items that needed to be put away. So I get, to, I get with our team and I'm like, guys, let's work smarter, not harder. Let's use the brain that God gave us and let's pile everything onto this golf cart that we have here. And I'm just gonna take the golf cart up to the offices and it's going to be perfect. I mean, we had 30 sandbags that need to be put away. We had coolers, we had food, we had all sorts of different things, you name it. It was probably on that field that day. And so I pull up the golf cart, I start throwing everything onto this golf cart and guys, by the time I was done, Piling everything onto this golf cart, it looked like this. 
I mean, this thing was looking like a lowrider. And so I remember there was no room for anybody to fit on this golf cart, only myself. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to get there and I'm going to have to call everybody to come get me because I can't do this all by myself. I mean, imagine driving something like that. It was really low to the ground. And so I put the key in the ignition. I'm driving up this little hill, trying to get to my destination, about 700 feet away from the destination. And the golf cart stops. And then I start going back down the hill a little bit. And I quickly find out, that, find out that the golf cart died. And so I'm like, oh man, what am I gonna do? I have all of this stuff on this golf cart. I thought it was a genius idea. And so I'm like, oh, what? I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna push the golf cart. So I get behind the golf cart and I start trying to push this thing. I can't even push a golf cart on its own, let alone with all of these different items on there. And so then I was like, okay, what's the next, next best thing? And if you're on the facilities team, I need you to close your ears for just two seconds. Uh, I got somebody to pull their car up and I try to drag the golf cart. That didn't work either. And so what happened was item by item, we had to carry to our destination. I'm like carrying sandbags left and right, carrying coolers. And I gotta tell you, it took a lot of work. It took a really long time, way longer than I anticipated. And I started thinking about that story as I was studying for this message because it's awesome when life is going well. But man, there is nothing worse than having a plan in place and it getting interrupted. Today we're going to continue in a series called Breathing Room, where all of us in this room, whether it was in the last year, the last month, the last week, some of us in the last hour before heading to church today, we all have something in common. And we've all, at one point or another, have felt stressed, pressed in over our heads. And what's, what's unique is that we all have it in common, but it's all for all sorts of different reasons. For some of us, maybe you're like me and it's the crazy gas prices. You leave the pump and you're like, oh my gosh, my entire savings account is now gone. Others of you, uh, maybe it's trying to juggle all of these responsibilities that you have on your plate. And life, if you're honest, feels more like a to-do list and a checklist that's never getting checked off. Uh, other times, it could be unmet expectations that you put on yourself or somebody else put on you, and you're living life, you're walking around, and you are drained, you're tired, you're stressed out in life. And the reason we're in this series is because a lot of us, what we need to do is we just need to breathe. We need some breathing room in our life. Maybe for you, it's having the wrong priorities, and you have all sorts of different things that you have to do, but if you're honest, some of your priorities are a little out of whack. See, what I learned in life is that we can't always decide what happens to us. Sometimes life just happens, but we can decide how we respond. We can't always, we, have a problem. we can't always guess what happens to us. There's some things that are just going to happen in life, but we can decide how we let it affect us. And what happens is oftentimes when our reality doesn't match where we thought we would be, we go straight into problem-solving mode. Like me on that golf cart, I'm trying to figure out what is the next best thing to do because I had a plan in place, yet it didn't work, and we're trying to solve and figure out the problem. Other times, maybe you get stressed out. You jump straight into worry mode and you're trying to worry and take control over things that you have no control over. The reason we act this way, I believe, is because we have a deeper issue. It comes out 
with stress, it comes out when we feel overwhelmed, when we're trying to take control. But the deeper issue is one that we try to hide. It's one that we try to, un- we try to make all pretty. Maybe some of us don't even realize we have this deeper issue within us, and it's this issue of unbelief. And I want you to hear me today because maybe you're here today and you don't fully believe that God will take care of your every need. And because you don't believe that, you start to worry, you start to stress, you start to take things into your own hands. I would say I'm a pretty faithful person. I've seen God do some incredible things. I am a miracle myself. I believe in God wholeheartedly. But if I'm honest with you, I'm a worrier at heart. And as I was studying for this message, I'm like, God, why do I worry so much? And I believe at the core of my worry, at the core of my stress, it's because I don't fully believe at times that God is going to take care of my every need. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to be in Philippians chapter 4. Throughout this series, we're going to be studying the book of Philippians, specifically chapter 4. And I want to give some context and paint a picture of where we find ourselves today. Paint the picture and give some context. We got Paul, who's quite easily one of the most influential people to ever live aside from Jesus himself. Paul wrote more than half of the New Testament of our Bibles. If you've been coming to church for a while or some time, you probably read a lot of Paul's stuff. He's writing to a church in the city of Philippi, which would be modern day Greece. And Paul has a special connection with these people. These were some of his closest friends. Paul loved them, and they loved Paul. Out of every church that Paul got to uh, preach to, out of every church that Paul got to lead, this was actually the one that gave to Paul the most financially. Paul's going to talk about that in our passage today. It's important because these people weren't the wealthiest of people. In fact, they actually didn't have a ton of money to begin with, yet they loved Paul and they took care of Paul. And now the problem that they find themselves in is their leader, the person that they love, their friend that they love dearly is in prison. They don't know what's going to happen next to them. So they're worried, they're worked up, they're wanting everything to be okay, yet they're left in the unknown. Have you ever been in a season of life where you're left in the unknown? You have no idea what's going to happen next. That's where these people find themselves. And on top of that, Paul is on the other end. He's writing this letter, and he has no idea what's going to happen to him. These might be some of the last words that he ever writes. And so that's the climate that we find ourselves in today. And I want to read from Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. It's going to come up on the screen. He says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help When I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. Notice that. He's calling it out. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse 19, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. This right here is is an amazing passage. It's one that I got to tackle and study for a whole long time and I'm really excited to preach today and I want to speak from the subject of how would our lives look different if we actually believed that God was involved in every area? 
How would our lives look different if we actually believed that God was involved and cared about every area of our life? And I believe there are three choices that we can make today. And the first one is this. We need to choose to see a setback as a setup. Choose to see a setback as a setup. There are nine words that Paul uses right here that I believe can change your life. Nine words that can change my life. Nine words that could change Whatever situation you find yourself in today, nine powerful words. And he says this in verse 19. And this same God, and this same God who takes care of me, and the same God who takes care of me, I want you to notice these words. Now, once you understand the climate and the context of which we find themselves in, Paul, like I said, he's in prison. He's writing these words from a prison, and prison in Rome was different than how it would operate. Roman prisons would operate different than they, how they operate today. Paul didn't know what was going to happen next to him. He didn't know if he was going to get another meal. It was up to somebody to take care of him in order to get fed. And that's where he is writing these words, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs. On top of that, in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us a snapshot at what he's experienced in his life. He's experienced getting beaten with rods and pelted with stones. He was shipwrecked, not once, not twice, but three times. I mean, that right there is enough to just say, all right, Paul, I get it, that's cool and all, but, but he keeps going. He says, no, I went without food for long periods of time. He went to prison on multiple occasions, and what's crazy to me is that he experienced all of that before writing this letter right here. And now here he is writing to the Philippian church saying, and that same God who took care of me, the same God who took care of me when I was lost, when I was broken, when I was confused, when I was hurting, when life got the best of me, that same God who took care of me, he'll take care of you. And I'm here to tell you today, that same God who took care of Paul then will take care of you and I. That is a promise that you and I could hold on to. This is the kind of perspective that Paul lived with. This is the perspective that he had. He said, no matter where I go, no matter whatever setback I experience, it's a setup to see what Jesus can do. It's a setup to see Jesus move in my life. I mean, this dude was in prison, and what is he doing in prison? He's worshiping with a guy named Silas. He's on a boat, and he's telling people about Jesus. Like, I gotta be honest, giving up and throwing in the towel could have been a whole lot easier and would have been a whole lot easier. Getting jaded at God for the times he didn't come through could have been a lot easier. Becoming bitter and mad at God for the unanswered prayers in his life could have been Paul's response. Let me say this too. There are some of you watching online, some of you in the room, some of you on the patio, you may have felt like Paul. You've been praying and praying for that loved one to get better, and they didn't get better. So some husbands, you've been praying and praying for your wife to stay faithful to you and not leave you, and she left you. I'm here to tell you that wherever you find yourself, Paul gets you. If he was here in this room, if he was on this microphone right now, he would tell you, don't give up, don't lose hope. Because even though things are difficult, even though trials come, difficulties happen in life, they can be a setup to see God move in your life. 
Now, it doesn't mean that you don't grieve. It doesn't mean that you don't get hurt. It doesn't mean that you just have to get over it right away. But I want us to have that kind of perspective today where we say, man, although I'm experiencing this, God, what are you trying to do through this? Now, it's not meant to make us feel good, but it's meant to give us a confidence in God, a Godfidence. Where we can say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust that there's something good that's going to come out of it. I know that there's hope in the midst of pain. I know that in the trial, there is joy like we were just singing about. Because Jesus is saying, man, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You know what, I'm glad that Paul didn't give up when the going got tough. I'm glad that Paul, when he was in prison, when he was writing these words, I'm glad that he penned those words for us and he didn't throw in the towel. He didn't get jaded. You wanna know why? Because Paul, and this is crazy to me, Paul being in prison right here was the setup to writing the book of Philippians. That's crazy to me. If he never went to prison, who knows if we would be reading from the book of Philippians today, yet alone all the other prison epistles and books that Paul written while he was in prison. He used that setback as a setup to say, God, what do you want me to do? You might feel defeated trying to land a job interview saying, man, I'm not getting called back. What am I going to do? Maybe that's a setup for God to say, man, I got another job for you. Just wait. Just trust me. Hold on to me. Maybe some of you guys, you have to get back to the office and you're like, man, I've been home working from home for the last two years. I got adjusted to that. Finally, I'm loving it. Man, instead of getting bitter mad, wanting to search for a different job. What happens if that is a setup to build relationships with your coworkers, to tell people about Jesus instead of being home and just hanging out in what's comfortable? What are you going through that could be, instead of a setback, it's a setup to see God move? And you might be here wondering, okay, what does that mean? What do I do in order to see a setback as a setup? It means changing our perspective and saying, man, instead of getting bitter and mad, I'm going to look for opportunities and say, God, what are you trying to do through me? What are you trying to do in my life? It's fighting having that negative mentality in your circumstance. God has a sense of humor. I was just in the Holy Land and we were coming back and you know what happened? Our plane got delayed. We had a connecting flight and we missed our connecting flight. We all wanted to get home. We were tired. I was supposed to preach that Sunday. And I remember turning to the team and I said, guys, God's having me preach my message right now. He's having me live out my message right now. Although this is a setback, what is it a setup for? And can I tell you, it personally changed my mind. I went from being angry and bitter and just upset to saying, God, give me opportunities to speak to people. And it completely changed my perspective. Some of us, we need to do that today, saying, God, I know you're in control. What are you setting me up for? Jesus, in John 16, says these words, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We can rest assured that God knows what he's doing. Second thought that I have for today and the second choice that we need to make is this. Choose to take only what God gives. Choose to take only what God gives. About a year ago, Jessica, my wife, uh, she had cooked us dinner and then she had to run out to go to her crew, which is the life groups of our young adult ministry. And so she's like, hey, since I cook, could you clean the dishes? I'm like, happy wife, happy life. Sure, I'll clean the dishes. 
And so I go over, I, I finish eating, I grab the dishes, and I'm home alone at this point, and I grab mine off the table, I start cleaning, and then I start hearing some noises. Now, when you're home alone and you start hearing some noises, ooh, some crazy thoughts start running through your head. And I'm thinking, man, if I get taken out, at least I'm getting taken out, making my wife happy. She can at least come home and be like, at least she was cleaning the dishes. And so I clean, I'm still cleaning the dishes. I got crazy thoughts running through my head, but I'm like, I'm kind of scared, so I'm just gonna keep cleaning. And then I hear the noise again. And I'm like, ah, still scrubbing. They're gonna take me out. It's all good. And then finally, the third time I hear this noise, I'm like, all right, dude, what is happening? So I walk over from the kitchen to the dining room and I look over and Max, the dog, is on the table licking the plate and the crumbs that Jess left behind. And I'm like, Max, thanks for doing my job for me. And I know parents say that kids make for great stories. I can't attest, I don't have any kids, but I can tell you that dogs make for great sermon illustrations. Because listen to this, Max had his food. Max had his water. But Max also had a problem. And his problem was he wanted more. And as a result of him wanting more, he went for something that wasn't meant for him. I want us to go back to verse 19, the second half of verse 19. Look at what Paul says. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs. Notice that all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I believe a big reason why we stress, myself included, because I'm preaching to myself, why we worry, why we feel overwhelmed and in over our head is because we're trying to take things that God didn't give us. Or maybe we've taken things that God hasn't given us and we're reaping the consequences. How many people do we know that are house poor? They're wanting the bigger house so badly and they're like, I can't, I don't want this house. I want the bigger house. So they get the bigger house and now they're struggling. They're like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make my mortgage payment. And they're stressed, they're overwhelmed. How many of us, we, we don't want the used car, we want the new car. And so we go and we buy the new car and now we're like, man, I could barely afford my car payments. The thing about Paul that stands out to me is that he knew that God was gonna supply all of his needs. It wasn't a doubt in his mind. He knew that God was gonna supply all of his needs. And so often, you and I, we're like Max, trying to go after things that God hasn't given us. Like, God, I've been praying for this promotion for a really long time. God, are you there? It's been years and still no promotion. Looks like I'm gonna have to go to my boss and I'm gonna start talking to my boss on your behalf because you haven't talked to him. And don't get me wrong, it's not bad to ask for a promotion. It's not bad to have those kinds of conversations, but let me ask you this, have you talked to God first? Have you brought God into the conversation? Have you given God some time to work because he doesn't work on our timetable, he works on his? Or we get lonely Man, it's another Valentine's Day and I'm still single. It's another Christmas, man. Who am I gonna get presents for? Who's gonna get me presents? God, you've been silent. Looks like I'm gonna have to find Mrs. Wright myself. Yeah, come on. Other times, maybe we don't even realize this, but we desire a life that somebody else is living not realizing that God hasn't called you to live that life. And so you see their life, 
Maybe you see it on social media. Maybe you're just seeing it from afar. You're like, I want that. I want to dress like them. I want to look like them. Not realizing God hasn't called you to be them. He's called you to be you. Don't take what God hasn't given you. Don't try to be in places that God hasn't called you. Think about this. Is there something in your life? Are there areas in your life, if you're honest, as you're analyzing, it's apparent that it didn't come from God? Maybe you didn't want to wait on God's timing for that person. And so you're like, you know what? I'm going to go out searching. And you went out searching. You found somebody, but it's a non-believer. Maybe for those of you, you're advancing in your company and life is looking good. You're making a whole lot of money, but you're doing it at the expense of stealing, lying, cheating. It looks good on the outside, but you're going after things that God didn't call you to. Notice what Paul says. He says, God will supply all of your needs. I stress often why, because I sometimes doubt that God's gonna supply all of my needs. If I'm completely honest with you, I've, it comes off as worry. It comes off as stress. But deep down, it's this right here. God is going to give us everything we need. He is a father who loves his children. We do not have to worry about that. Matthew 6, 28 says this. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? You don't have to be left searching, wondering, wanting what somebody else has. We have a heavenly father that sees you and knows your needs, and he will supply them all from his glorious riches like we just read. And my, my third thought is that we need to choose faith over fear. Choose faith over fear. While I was studying for this message, there's a passage that kept coming up in different conversations, multiple different conversations. Exodus chapter 14 kept coming up. Exodus chapter 14. I'm like, God, is that you? And then it would get brought up again. I'm like, okay, God, I'm listening. This is like the fourth time I'm gonna tell our people, I'm gonna tell myself about Exodus chapter 14. To give some context, just so you guys know what's happening in Exodus chapter 14. God's people, the Israelites, for years have been in slavery. They're finally free when God tells Moses that he's gonna be their leader and he's gonna lead them to the promised land. So these guys are finally free, but there's a problem. They just left Egypt. They're on their way to where they need to go, yet Pharaoh has some thoughts. He has, he made a decision, but he's trying to go back on that decision. He's like, you know what? I want them back in Egypt. And so what he does is he sends 600, 600 of his best chariots to go chase after the Israelites. And now the Israelites, they're, they're in a predicament because they got an army chasing them and they got the Red Sea on the other end. And so these guys are stuck. And every time they would look back at the army getting closer and closer to them. You know what would happen? They'd be fearful. It's interesting that fear gets us to forget all the ways that God has moved in our lives. These people, they have seen God do some incredible things. They've seen God take them through 10 different plagues. Yet here they are on one side 
with water, on another side with an army coming after them, they're stuck and they're worried. And I want you to see what their leader says in, verse, in Exodus 14, 13. He says this, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. I mean, if I'm hearing this and there's people coming after me, just stay calm, what do you mean? Just stand still, what are you talking about, Moses? But Moses was onto something. Moses understood what God had done for the Israelites. Moses understood that God took care of them every step of the way, that God fed them and that God rescued them. Yet when we're in fearful situations, we forget all the different ways that God has moved in our lives. We need to remind ourselves of the moments that God has come through. Because if God came through for you, then he's gonna come through for you again. Those times where you thought, man, I don't know if I'm ever gonna have enough food on the table, yet you always had enough. The time where your marriage was on on the brink of divorce, and you're like, man, it's over. And now your marriage is thriving with that same person. The time you got a call from the doctor with that report saying you have cancer and now you're on the other end of it saying I'm a cancer survivor. We need to look at all the ways that God has come through in our life because if he brought you through then, he's gonna take you through it again. And we get into battles that aren't meant for us. These guys are trying to get into a battle when they should just listen to their leader because what's happening is God is gonna fight for them. I'm here to tell you that God will fight for you. Some of us, we look at our struggle, at our trial, at the hardship, and we need to remind ourselves that God is fighting for you. We need to stop focusing on how big our problem is and really put our perspective and say, man, look how big my God is. Because God is bigger than the circumstance that you find yourself in because what he does right here is he makes a way for the Israelites to be free. And if he can make a way for them, he can make a way for you. And what I want us to understand today is that Paul and the Israelites are testaments to God being faithful to his people, to God caring for his people. Even when your circumstances don't show it, God's fighting for you. Even when your circumstance is huge, you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Stand still. Know that God has got you. Now, it doesn't mean we don't do anything about it. We need to include him into the conversation and we shouldn't stress, we shouldn't worry because we have a heavenly father that cares about us. When the world feels like it's crashing upon us, it's normal to choose fear. It's normal to try to start making plans, but we have a God that goes before us, behind us, to the side of us. He is always present. He is always fighting. Never will he leave you. Never will he forsake you. And so tonight, or I'm used to preaching that night, this morning, you guys are like, what? I want to give an opportunity for people to experience that God that we're talking about. Experience a God who is so intimate, so alive and active in every area of your life. He cares about you. He loves you dearly. And he loves us in these moments, but... The fact 
that God wanted a relationship with us so badly that he would send Jesus to the cross to die for you and me so that we could have freedom, so that we could have hope in these trials, so that we could have joy in these circumstances. It's available when you say yes to following Jesus. I know there's people in this room, people watching online, you have not given your life to Jesus yet. You haven't experienced that there's a heavenly father that sees you, that loves you, that cares about you more than anybody else on this earth. So right now, I wanna give everybody an opportunity to say yes to him. With nobody looking around, everybody's eyes closed. I believe God's here today saying, trust me. There are some people in this room watching online that you have done everything in your power to try to find happiness, to try to find peace, to try to find contentment that's only found in Jesus. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, would you be praying for people that need to say yes to him right now? God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, I pray for people right now that need to say yes to you, those that are far from you, those that are in this room today that have never given their life to you. God, I pray that they would come to the end of themselves and they would say yes to you. I pray for that person in here that's jumping from relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to fill a void in their heart. God, I pray that they would know that that would never fill the void. Only you can. I pray for people that are looking for answers. God, I pray that they would know that the answer is you. pray that people would feel the weight and the gravity of how much you love us in the way that Jesus would go to the cross. Even when he didn't want to in his flesh, he still did so that we could have relationship, we could have salvation and freedom and hope in you. So if that's you and you are here today and you've never said yes to following Jesus, Maybe you're here today and you have said yes, but you walked away and you started doing life on your own. Can I tell you, some of you, you need to come back to your first love. God sees you. He cares about you. And I love a moment like this because God is stopping everything to get your attention. To say, I want you, my child, come to me. And so if that's you and you wanna say yes to following Jesus for the first time, maybe you need to come back to him today. As a family, out loud, could you repeat these words after me, inviting him into your heart, say, God, I know that you love me. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for me. Would you free me of my sin? Free me of my hurt? Free me of my pain? So I say yes to you. Yes, the life you have for me. There's no turning back. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And praise God for all of you that prayed that prayer. And there's a next step. And the next step is making it known. In just a moment, we're going to sing and we're going to worship, thanking God for who he is and what he's done in our life. I mean, the fact that we're here today is simply a miracle.
And so what I want us to do, if that's you, you prayed that prayer for the first time. Maybe you, need to, maybe you prayed that prayer for the second or third time and you're saying, I'm coming back to him. When we stand up in just a second to sing, I wanna invite you to an aisle. Our team, they're gonna greet you and then we're gonna welcome you over to our living room. We're a family here. We wanna give you a Bible. We wanna give you some resources, but something happens when you do this. God literally meets you right where you're at. I gave an invitation on Thursday and somebody told me the same thing. God literally met me right where I was at and I want that for you. If you're watching online, you can text amen to 77247. Amen to 77247 right now.